But as we jump in this morning, if you have your Bibles, open in them to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 23 as we walk through this sermon series, looking at the stories that Jesus told. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. And we're going to be looking at this question, uh, really, that I, I believe was probably close to the heart of the disciples in the moment that we're getting ready to read, that, that if Jesus is truly God, why doesn't everybody follow him? And even if Jesus is truly this God who's calmed the seas and casts out demons and heals sickness and has authoritative teaching like we've just read in the Sermon on the Mount, why doesn't everyone follow him? And this is a fair question, right? It's a question that some of us may have. And, and so let me just say this. If you have a Bible, again, open it up on your device, on your Bible, because we're really going to have our nose in Scripture here today. And in part, because as I heard uh, one pastor say this week, we want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape how we understand and respond to life. We want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape how we understand and respond to life. Questions like these are big questions. And what I find in the hearts of many, and myself included, is that sometimes we're okay with just throwing it the chance, whatever chance is, right? Figuring out, I'll just guess my way to the answer to the question of, is Jesus, if Jesus is God, why doesn't everyone follow him? And that's kind of dangerous, right? Especially as God in his word uh, unfolds at least a facet of the answer to that question in the text we're going to be looking at today. And, and so uh, let me give you some context behind the story we're getting ready to read. It's the parable of the sower or the soils, however you were taught if you grew up in the church. And it's one that could be familiar. But, but the reason this question is the one I begin with is because of the story behind the question. As we read our scriptures, we cannot read the stories that Jesus told out of their context. We need to actually work hard to understand um, uh, where Jesus delivered this story or, or the context in which Jesus delivered this story. And so we get a glimpse of that in chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 22, where there was a demon-possessed, uh, oppressed man who was blind and mute and was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. And then in verse 23, uh, we see people begin to ask the right questions. They say, can this be the son of David? Now, if you were here in the fall, you got to strain your brain a little bit to go back and remember this covenant that God made with David, where he said, I will always keep one of your offspring on the throne. The Messiah, the Savior will come from him. And so, and so in a way, as you read through this book, you're going, oh, it feels like people are getting it. They're asking the question, is this the guy? Is this the one we've all been waiting for? And how Matthew would frame it in the rest of his book is the answer is yes. There's a problem. In verse 24, we see trouble arise as the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people say, no, 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 this isn't that guy. This is actually Satan. Jesus is actually Satan because only Satan can cast out other demons. And if you fast forward, you see Jesus even taking some issue at the end of the chapter with his own family where he says, hey, my family are not my flesh and blood, but, but rather those who do the will of my father. And so in light of that, put yourself in the place of the disciples who have seen all of this unfold, calming of storms, casting out demons. Imagine their thoughts of the controversy before them. Why do so many admire you, but few follow? Why do the nation's leaders reject their long-awaited deliverer? Why does Jesus garner so little praise 
but attract so much opposition. I guarantee you, the question arose in their hearts, if you are God, why doesn't everyone follow you? Have you ever asked that question? Parents who raise their children in the church, who show them Jesus their whole lives, they go away to college, they come back, and it feels like faith has evaporated. Or you've walked with a friend for 20 years following Jesus together, and then all of a sudden something just happens, and they give up. Some would say an entire generation is walking away from the faith. Some of you may even feel that in your own heart. If you're God, why am I having a hard time believing in you right now? Is there something wrong? Have we missed something? Is Jesus a defunct Savior? Should we, as John the Baptist says to Jesus himself when he's in jail, look elsewhere? Well, let's jump into the text, and we're going to read the first three verses and take a break and talk about uh, parables. And so the first thing we're going to do is try to understand what we mean when we say the word parable. And follow along with me in 13, 1 to 3. It says, that same day, so there's your context clue that this is happening in the midst of another story, right? That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. Let me open us in prayer as we get into the text this morning. Well, Holy Spirit, as we'll see from this text, we need you to actually make our hearts good soil for the seed of the gospel to land in this morning. And unless you move, that won't happen. And so would you open our eyes and our hearts to who you are, King Jesus? Would you guide my words? Would you soften our hearts to hear from you this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so consider the setting. So so that same day, after all this craziness happened there in verse 12, Jesus shows up on a shoreline. And the people started crowding around him, so in order to socially distance, he gets in a boat and he floats out to the middle of the water, right? But he does, right? He gets in a boat and he floats out, and the crowd remains uh, on the shoreline, a day much warmer than this. Probably no child care, so it was a little noisy, paper, paper airplanes being thrown, right? And Jesus began to teach. And he began to teach in a parable. So before we just throw that word around, we need to understand why Jesus, or at least what a parable is. All right, so here's the most simplistic way of looking at a parable. A parable, I've heard it said, is an earthly story that speaks of heavenly realities. It's an earthly story that speaks of heavenly realities. So it's Jesus taking things that the hearers would understand, things like agriculture and work, and he's using it to explain heavenly realities or realities of the kingdom, realities of himself that they might not naturally grasp. But I think it goes beyond that. Jesus himself would be familiar with the Old Testament that speaks of parables. And, and so uh, one text that we can look at is Psalm 78 too. Where the psalmist says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Or in Ezekiel 17, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. 
And so the two words that we hear here uh, with regards to what a parable actually is, a dark saying and a riddle. Now, dark saying doesn't mean it's like evil, right? It's more darkness as in veils, not clearly seen. Or a riddle. What, what do riddles do? There's a lot of young people in this church who love riddles. You'll come up to me and you'll be like, I've got a riddle, you know, and, and you'll share it with me. And, and what does a riddle do? Do we just blow by riddles when they're told? No. Riddles slow us down. There's no immediate gratification. It, uh, as Zach S. 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 Wine, a, a pastor uh, who I listened to and who taught me in seminary, says, parables really reveal what we want. If we don't want to know the answer to the riddle, we'll just blow by and be like, ah, yeah, I don't know, I don't have time for that right now. But if we really want to understand, we, we slow down, and it really reveals what we want. A parable is also a story that communicates a moral, but does so in a different way, other than like, you know, here's a command, or here's some data. An example of that uh, that's famous in our household uh, has to do with listening to music. I've told this in the past, but it's been a little bit. Uh, but there was a day when my kids were much younger. We were uh, at the store. We were at Giant. Uh, and we're listening to music together. That's one of our favorite things to do as a family is listen to music together. And so, you know, I listen to the, the music. You know, I go beyond the beat and the catchy tune, and I listen to the lyrics. And there was one day we were sitting in the giant parking lot, and this song is going, and, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, hey, guys, we can't listen to this song anymore. <laughs> lyrics aren't the best, right? And I'm like, but, Dad, it's so catchy. We've all said that, right? We've had that experience, haven't we? Now, I could have in that moment you know, started spouting off some data or some form of command. But, but uh, the Lord just was very kind and gave me this illustration since we were just in the candy aisle, and I think I had just bought some candy for the kids. I said, you know, here's the thing. It does have a catchy beat. I used to say the same thing to my parents. But, but you know what uh, lyrics captured in the catchy uh, beat and whatnot can be? It could be kind of like a candy-coated poison pill. Something that the enemy uses, he coats in something sweet that tastes good, but, but slowly it's, it's killing us inside. It destroys us. It unravels us morally. It pushes us away from what God has intended us to be. Interestingly, about a week ago, we said something came on the radio. I was like, eh, candy-coated poison pill. We all got it, Right? Now, I could have said, well, data shows that if people listen to this stuff, 70% become serial killers. You know, I could, I could have said something data-driven like that, right? But I didn't. I chose to just tell a story to, to bring it home to where they are. And in part, that is why Jesus tells so many awesome parables. So let me just say this. For those of you who are artists, for those of you who craft music or visual arts or poems or stories in order to illuminate cultural realities around them or to draw out the human heart, for educators who tell stories to, to shepherd uh, a student's heart well, uh, let me just encourage you to see that as you living out what Jesus Christ himself does. That is beautiful and good work. Here's the other thing I want you to hear me say, is that Jesus believes that stories are valid ways of knowing. So often... People will say, oh, well, that story can't be true. Here's some data to disprove it. But that's not at all what Jesus thinks. In fact, none of us live life that way. We don't walk around with Excel spreadsheets and data and go, this is how I live my life. 
We're shaped by Netflix and movies and and the beautiful ways that Instagram puts quotes in there that draws our eyes to it. The narrative of another person's lives are our own narratives. I'm not saying data is not uh, important, but I'm saying stories shape us just as much, if not more. And Jesus is saying stories are a valid way of knowing and of knowing me. All right, so that's just a little look at understanding parables. Here's the second thing we're going to look at, and it's this idea in response to this question, if Jesus is truly God, why doesn't everyone follow him? And here's the second point I want you to see, is we want to see the difference between hearing and listening. You want to see the difference between hearing and listening. So pick back up with me in verse 3. Actually, we're going to jump in at 4. So at the end of 3, it says, A sower went out to sow. And here's the story Jesus tells. And as he sowed, sowed is just another way of saying planted seed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, or since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, so the reason this point has the word hearing in it is really because, um, you know, here's another tip as you're reading your Bibles. Look for repeated words. Often that's where the Holy Spirit via the author is trying to draw our attention. And in this passage, the word hear or hearing is mentioned 11 times. The most repeated word in the passage. And so uh, you see it in verse 9 where it says, He who has ears, let him hear. And you really get a deeper understanding of what he's talking about in verse, sorry, I lost my place, uh, in verse 13 where it says, This is why I speak in parables because seeing they don't see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So Jesus isn't just talking about hearing, right? Hearing the word of God is like the seed hitting the soil. What he begins to talk about is how the soil or how the seed and the soil interact together. And that's really this idea of understanding, or we may call it listening. All of us either are or were children at some point, and we've probably had one of those heated arguments with, um, you know, a parent or a guardian or a loved one where, where you're back and forth and, and, and the parent goes, you're not listening to me. And then the child might say, but I hear you. And they're like, right, but you are not listening to me, Right. There's this different in expectation. Hearing means it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Listening or understanding, however, means, hey, uh, the person has heard what you're saying, internalized it, understood it, and it changes our response. And so Jesus is basically saying in this parable that there's a difference between hearing and listening. And there's four different types of listeners that we see here. So let me say this, as we talk about a sower in our culture, that top picture is oftentimes how we uh, think of planting seeds, right? It's in a row, we put them down one at a time. But in, in this circumstance, what Jesus is talking about is more that bottom picture where it's somebody who just has a handful of seed and scatters it. And even more different than that picture on the bottom, uh, usually the soil has not yet been tilled, at least in this culture. It's thrown everywhere on paths and on rocky ground, and it's later to- um, uh, uh, tilled up and and prepared, but, but here's what he's basically saying. He's saying there is sowing that's happening, and the seed is what it says in verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower, sorry, 19, when every, anyone hears the word of the kingdom. 
All right, so the seed is the word of the kingdom, and this is just Jesus' way of saying, it's the gospel. The seed is the good news of me because I am the kingdom come. And so what he's saying is, is, hey, the seed is when somebody hears of me. The good news of the gospel. Now, the sower in this circumstance is Jesus, right? He's teaching his disciples. He's telling of himself to the listeners. Later on in Matthew 28 and into the book of Acts, we see uh, the sowers, at least in part, becoming the disciples who are telling others of the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's teaching his disciples a valuable lesson here and saying, here are the four ways people are going to respond to the gospel. So here's the four categories of listeners that we hear here, what we see here. We have non-listeners, superficial listeners, distracted listeners, and fruitful listeners. First, we have the non-listeners. It's the ones who fall along the path. So the seed hits a path. The path is simply a place in the field where many feet have traveled and it's packed it in. And here's the beautiful part about sermon prep for this one. Jesus does all the research for me. He actually goes down a little bit later on in the passage and he explains, this is what the different types of soil are. And so here's the first one. The first type of soil is when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches it away, what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so the first category, this path category, are the non-listeners. The result is that they hear the gospel, but they don't understand it at all. The cause behind it is not a defunct Savior, but it's an enemy. Satan himself, who snatches it away. Here's the second category. It's the superficial listener. This is where the seed hits rocky ground. This is soil that is very thin and underneath are all the rocks. So the roots are never able to take hold. And when the sun rises, it basically scorches the plant and it dies. And here's Jesus' explanation of what's going on here. He says, as for what's being sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So these are superficial listeners. Superficial listeners. These are temporary followers of Jesus Christ that don't last. They're met with zeal at the beginning, but the cause of this is superficial enthusiasm, a root system that doesn't go deep and will not allow for the word of God to withstand withering heat. That last phrase where it says, he falls away. Uh, that's the term, uh, at least in Greek, uh, uh, i got to say it right, skandalizo, right? So you can hear the term scandal in there, can't you? It usually is referred to, you can interpret Greek terms in different ways based on the context, but it's often used as to take offense. So these are Jesus' fair-weather friends. The minute their faith gets hard, the minute there's persecution... They bolt. They forget what Matthew or what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where he says, hey, persecution will come. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. This is why I said a number of weeks ago, as a pastor, the worst thing I could do is to encourage us towards life of comfort and safety as Christians. The best thing I could do is to prepare us for persecution and suffering. Because it will come. It will come for the sake of Jesus if we are true followers of him. It is challenging, but it shouldn't be shocking. 
Here's the third category. These are the distracted listeners where they are sown among the thorns and the thorns come up and they, and they choke the plant and they wither and die. And this is what Jesus says of this group. Matthew 13, 22. For what's been sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. These are the ones who take temporary interest in the word until something more appealing enters its sphere. Basically, Jesus is the next shiny thing, and when the next shiny thing comes, they bolt. The cause is an adulterous heart. More drawn to things like success, or wealth, or comfort, or power, or control. And it overwhelms the word. Here's the final category the good soil. And here's what Jesus says these are fruitful listeners, or what's been sown on good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and in another thirty. These are faithful and fruitful listeners. They hear and they understand, and it works its way out in its life to great yield. This is probably the part that would have shocked the hearers the most. Why? Because usually a plant has tenfold yield. This is saying 30, 60, 100. And this is things like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things like um, people who uh, hear from them the message of the gospel and respond. God's fruit works its way out. So what Jesus is essentially saying here is the problem isn't Jesus, but rather the hearer and what they're listening to. And so let me just say this. As we read this, I believe Jesus is telling this story primarily for the hearers of those who will one day go out and sow. But I think there's also a moment of sobriety for all of us who come to this text and hear things like the deceitfulness of riches, the threat of that persecution. And I think it's important for us to ask this question, what category does our heart bend towards? What category does our heart bend towards? If we are the non-listener, beg the Lord to open your ears and heart. If we are the superficial listeners, prayerfully ask the Lord for sobriety and seriousness in your faith. For the distracted listener, ask the Lord for clarity and repent of your other loves. And friends, for the fruitful listeners, and there are many, give thanks to God and ask Him to direct you to good places to serve and to continue to bear fruit. All right, here's the third point. And this is really Jesus' response to the invitation. And here's what I would say. As you read through the Gospels, Mark in particular, but also Matthew, you will see them sandwich kind of a teaching within a teaching. And he does this here. He tells the parable of the soils at the beginning of the end, and then he sandwiches in the middle a little teaching that that really Matthew wants us and the Holy Spirit wants us to pay attention to. And so uh, follow along with me. It's a little bit of reading. Um, We're going to wrap soon, but here's what it says, 10 to 17. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. But to the one who has, more will be given. 
and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what will be given will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Here's what I think Jesus is imparting in this middle section, is it's kind of an invitation. You see, parables in a way are somewhat of a fog, right? Dark stories, something that's veiled, meant to put... So Jesus tells these stories intentionally, right? The disciples are saying, why do you just tell them a story and then walk away? Jesus didn't explain the moral of this. Would you come back to church the next week, right? Here's a story. Figure out the moral. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, why do you do this? And I think in part, he is intentionally putting a fog in front of them, again, to cause them to determine whether or not they want to know more. Because it reveals what's dull. Verse 15, did you see that? The people's heart had grown dull. With their ears, and with their ears they could barely hear. With their eyes they were closed. Not giving the moral of the story to the crowds is basically him showing, hey, I am happy to explain to you if you ask. But it reveals what our hearts really want. If there's no coming to him and asking. The people who are in the crowd are the ones who want to be entertained by Jesus and helped by Jesus, but they really want nothing to do with Jesus. But there's an offer. In verse 12, it says, uh, the ones who hear, the ones who have been given, sorry, let me find it. For to the one who has, more will be given. There's an invitation saying, hey, I'm welcoming anyone who wants to know, and there will be no end of knowing me. And in verse 15, I believe there's an invitation where it says, hey, there's an invitation to turn away from those things that we're running after apart from him, and he'll heal us. In Matthew 7, that's why he says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. You go into my bedroom, you walk in, right next to the bed, there's a nightstand, all right? And on the top of the nightstand, that's where I put my important stuff. I put my wallet, I put my keys, I put my chapstick, because in Philadelphia, there's no moisture in the air in winter, right? And so that's the daily stuff that I turn to that's important. But then the drawer underneath, do you know what that is? It's the junk drawer. I opened it the other day, there's a bottle cap and a bottle opener, super glue, what? Like, I don't know, but it's the stuff when I'm cleaning off the top, I'm like, I might want this someday, and I throw it in there. Here's the question. Is Jesus the junk drawer of your life, or is he the top of the nightstand? Parables are an invitation for Jesus, to responding to Jesus, where he says, I'm the wallet and key stuff, the everydayness of life. Do we need him? Do we want to know him? Or are we content with him doing some stuff for us, but us not really knowing him? 
What he's saying to the disciples is his will come and they will ask. Friends, we must ask and allow him to be our teacher. And the crazy thing about Jesus is if it doesn't sit well with us, he is content to let us walk away. That's what this picture shows us. Yes, he came to us on the cross. But we must cry out to him for his mercy and his grace. That is the invitation that's before us today. Now, this sounds like a terrible church growth model, doesn't it? Here's the last thing I want to say is, is I believe that Jesus in part, well, largely is giving this to his disciples who are going to go out and be ministers of the gospel, to throw seed. And I would just say this, in my 20 years in ministry, there has never been a more challenging time to minister. And let me just say this, if you have claimed to follow Jesus Christ in faith, every single one of you, Ephesians 4 says, are ministers. We're not spectators in the faith. We're participants called to the field. And there are many ministers in this room. And this is a hard time to labor for the sake of the gospel. Some of us haven't seen those we've ministered to for so long because of a pandemic. Some of us are catching the pushback of a world that wants to elevate preferences to primary level situations. We're facing what one of my seminary professors would say, uh, the scenario of hurting people hurt people. Friends, there are more hurting people right now among us than we could ever imagine. And one of the responses is to flail and to harm those around us because we ourselves are in hard situations. And so, in part, Jesus is encouraging those who are ministering and saying, our call is to sow, but we have no control over growing. He is the one who causes the growth. And he's calling us to see him as the faithful minister. The pandemic is showing where Jesus has become the junk drawer in a lot of our lives. But he's inviting us to trust him as we move out in faith and minister to others. So God, if you are truly God, why doesn't everyone follow you? Well, it's not a defunct Savior. It's defunct hearts who are prone to wander away from him. But even in the midst of our wandering, this promise that he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount is still true. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Would you respond to his invitation this morning? Let's close in prayer. Well, Lord, we praise you for your word. Father, I know sometimes hearing these soils can create turmoil in our own hearts. And so, Lord, I pray, again, if our spirits are overly fearful and overly sensitive, I pray that we will rest in you as our Savior and the work you have done on our behalf. But, Lord, where our hearts have refused to go deep into you and are being scorched, Lord, who are fair-weather followers of you, following the next shiny thing. Lord, would you grab our hearts and not let us go? Cause us to respond to your invitation. Lord, where your enemy is snatching the seed of the gospel from hearts, would you corral him quickly? And Lord, for those where the seed has fallen and, and fruit 
is, is come to bear, but Lord, maybe we're facing discouragement as we minister to others. Lord, would we encourage, or we'd, would, be, would we be encouraged in your faithfulness and who you are and allow us to trust you? Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.